Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lance, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people and how to apply that truth to today's issues, trends, and culture. Learn more about the program and our church when you visit walkintruth.com or download our free Living Truth app. Now here's Pastor Michael's teaching in Isaiah 56 called A House of Prayer for All Nations. Isaiah 56 is what you want tonight in your Bible. We may even try to tackle two chapters. We'll see how we do. Isaiah chapter 56. Now, it may not be shocking to your brain to know that Isaiah 56 follows Isaiah 55. See if you can get your mind around that for a second. In Isaiah 55, there was a great invitation. You could call it a gospel invitation in the Old Testament. And it is found in verses 6 and 7. And it says these words, Isaiah 55, 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. And I want you to notice on the heels of that invitation, there is a command to forsake something. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. If you think of the idea of repentance, uh, metanoia, a change of heart and mind and action, there's a good definition of what repentance is. Repentance is more than just a one-time turning and saying, I'm not going to do that again. I'm so sorry, because we've all done that before. We've all had, for whatever reasons, moments where we were sorry about doing something. Sometimes it's because we got caught. Or sometimes we didn't like the consequences to ourselves and others. And frankly, sometimes, quote-unquote, repentance can be rather selfish. So the Bible says, if you want a full idea of repentance, it's a forsaking of your way, 55.7. It's a forsaking of unrighteous thoughts. And notice, it is a return to the Lord. And when you do that, God says, I will have compassion on him and to our God, and God will abundantly pardon. That's the invitation. Now that comes on the heels. I told you, uh, Isaiah 53, you have that great uh, messianic chapter of the dying Messiah who will bear our iniquities, he will bear our shame, all that that means. And then 54 and 55 are response chapters. Okay, now what do you do in light of the dying Messiah? What you do is you call upon the Lord while he's near. You forsake your way. You come to him just as you are, but you come to him with sincerity. You come to him with a key word tonight. The word is contriteness or contrition. That's not a word we use much in our culture, but it's a a word that we're going to find in these chapters. And I want to skip ahead for a moment and take you to a verse that I think kind of sums up the direction of these chapters and what's ahead of us. It's 57 15. Isaiah 57, 15. I'm going to pray one more time as you locate that. Well, Father, we know that as we study your word, you're the ultimate teacher. Uh, This is your word breathed out by you, and it is profitable for us. And you've given it to us to be profitable, to give us what we need, everything that pertains to life and godliness, um, everything that pertains to the way that we should go and the way that we should avoid And so tonight, Lord, as we look at it, may we be people who are truly contrite. And may we see that that contriteness is linked with revival. 
We talk much about revival in the church, but I believe that you're saying to us tonight that if you want to experience revival, whether it's uh, personally, corporately, and even nationally, it's going to be linked to contrition. And that's not something that we enjoy, but it is something that is real and something that is profound in your eyes. And what you want us to be is what we want to be. So tonight, Lord, show us your way. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Isaiah 57, 15, and keep in mind, as we look at the language, this is a broad um, invitation. It's not only to Israel, but it is to the world. God is making a universal call to himself, and here's what he says. Isaiah 57, 15 says, For thus says the high and exalted one who lives forever, whose name is holy, I dwell on a high and holy place. You could think of here a reference to heaven. And also with who? The contrite and lowly of spirit. God says, I dwell in heaven. Heaven is my throne. The earth is my footstool. That is my special dwelling place, if you will, on high. I am holy. I am attended to by myriads of angels. I am the high and lofty one, yet I will also make my dwelling with the contrite. God, because he is omnipresent, can be in heaven reigning on the throne and be living or dwelling among his people, tabernacling among us. He does that by the Holy Spirit. He does that because the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of us. Jesus said, those who love me and keep my commandments, my Father and I will make our abode in them. I think that's John 14, 23. We will come and dwell in them. And the key to God dwelling in a life is the one who is contrite. I dwell on a high and holy place and also with contrite and lowly of spirit. And here's what God wants to do. When he comes and dwells in us, he does it in order to, 57, middle of the verse, to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. So contrition is linked to revival. In our nation right now, we are at a crossroads. We're largely a divided nation, and we're largely, in many ways, a divided church. We don't know if we want to stand for the entire Word of God, parts of the Word of God, We seem to sort of back up up at least some who are representing Christianity in the public square. We don't want to say what God says because we're afraid that it might offend people. But the very thing that they need is to hear truth so that they might humble themselves before God. But they want to do it their way. And sometimes what we do is we allow the winds of culture to blow so hard on us that we back down from truth. And truth is what sets us free. And God says, I will dwell with the contrite. Now, you might be asking, okay, what does contrite mean? Well, the Hebrew word is dakau, and it literally means to be crushed. Uh, It's the word that's used of the Messiah, that it pleased the Father to crush him. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross, so that contrition is a synonym with humility. To be contrite is to be humble. 
It is the action of humility. It is to say to the Lord, I will be broken before you because I know in my brokenness, you will come in and heal me and revive my heart. God doesn't want you to stay, obviously, in a position where you walk around broken all the time. But David, when he wrote Psalm 51, said these words, for thou does not delight in sacrifice, Psalm 51, 16 and 17, after his sin with Bathsheba. Otherwise, I would give it. Thou art not pleased with burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, thou will not despise. So David writes this majestic Psalm 51, and what he says to us is when we blow it, when we make a mistake, there's no use in hiding it. David, scholars agree, probably covered his sin for about a year after he blew it with Bathsheba. And he wrote Psalm 32 and Psalm 51. And in those periods of time, he said God's heavy hand was upon him. Not because God didn't love David, but because he did love him. He wouldn't let him get away with it. And he pressed on David until David was at some point broken. That's what God will do. He will press on you because he wants you to be revived in your spirit. And when you're In sin and in rebellion towards God, you're the opposite of revived. You're the opposite of refreshed. The book of Acts tells us when Peter preached that great sermon in Acts chapter 3, he said, uh, repent that times of refreshing may come from the Spirit of the Lord and that the Lord, uh, the Father might send Jesus. That's the idea. God wants to send his spirit in special ways into our lives. Go to Isaiah 66 for a moment. The last chapter of the book of Isaiah, 66. God says something very similar here. Isaiah 66 verse 1 says, Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne, 66.1. The earth is my footstool. Where then is a house you could build for me? Where is a place that I may rest? For my hand made all things, 66.2. Thus all things came into being, declares the Lord. But to this one I will look, to him who is humble and contrite of spirit, and who what? Trembles at my word. When's the last time you heard someone say, you know, the true test of godliness is whether or not we tremble at his word. You know, sometimes it just makes me tremble. That's the Lord. The Lord's saying, that's the one I will look to. That's the one I will dwell with. Of course, the Lord gives all these fringe benefits of joy and peace. Go back to Isaiah 56. Um, Beauty in the Holy Spirit, but he wants us to be contrite. And Israel's problem was they wouldn't humble themselves Uh, God warned them over and over again. And in Jeremiah 44, 10 and 11, he says, but they have not become contrite even to this day, nor have they feared nor walked in my law or my statutes, which I've set before you and before your fathers. Therefore, Jeremiah 44, 10 and 11, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, behold, I'm going to set my face against you for woe, even to cut off all of Judah True contrition is tied to congruent actions. That is, there is always fruit in keeping with repentance. Amen? That's what John the Baptist said in Luke 3, 8, and 9. He said, bring forth fruit in keeping with repentance. You can also look at Matthew 3, verse 8, same thing. 
In Acts 26, Paul, before King Agrippa, says, uh, I kept declaring both to Damascus first and also at Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea, even to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds appropriate to repentance, which means fruit. You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. Walk in Truth has more content for you to listen to with our mini-sodes, A Step Closer, where Pastor Michael Lance and others on the Walk in Truth team discuss topics and questions about life from a Christian perspective. You'll also get a chance to get to know the team. The next topic to dive into is the potential overturning of Roe v. Wade. Even if we threw out having to land on when does life begin, when a majority of those abortions happen, right, is in between generally 6 to 12 weeks. And, you know what I mean, there's a heartbeat, there's, everything's pretty much intact. The only thing that child or that baby needs is time and nutrition. It's fully formed. To listen to the Walk in Truth mini-sodes a step closer, follow Walk in Truth on your favorite podcast app like Spotify, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, and more. Again, follow Walk in Truth on your favorite podcast app. We'd love to see who's listening, so please connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Just do a search for Walkin' Truth Show. Now, back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walkin' Truth. That's what John the Baptist said in Luke 3, 8, and 9. He said, bring forth fruit in keeping with repentance. You can also look at Matthew 3, verse 8, same thing. In Acts 26, Paul, before King Agrippa, says, uh, I kept declaring both to Damascus first and also at Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea, even to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds appropriate to repentance, which means fruit. There is going to be fruit in keeping with repentance. You can make Um, professions all day long, God is saying. You can say the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, but if you are messing around with idols, profaning my Sabbath, and basically turned your heart away from me, and then you sit there and say, well, yeah, but your name's on our lips and your temple, God's gonna say that means nothing to me. Show me that you love me by the fruit that's produced in your life. Now, we all know we're careful theologically to say good works do not save us. We all know that. But good works flow from a life that's redeemed. It's undeniable. Faith without works is dead. And and in that chapter, James is contrasting true faith with false faith. He's saying there's a way to make a profession, but if you don't back it up with actions, it means that your profession is false. It means your heart has not really been changed because your actions will come out, your heart Uh, being uh, changed will be produced in your actions. And so notice what happens now. This is Isaiah 56.1. Thus says the Lord, here's the actions. Preserve or keep justice, Isaiah 56.1, and do righteousness. For my salvation is about to come. We, We are always to live in the light of eternity because when we do, that living will have a purifying effect. We purify ourselves even as he is pure as we look expectantly to the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. We live in the light of eternity. Now, whether he comes in our lifetime, we don't know, but we're going to go to be with him and we don't even know what a day will bring. And so God says, look, live 
with that expectation. Live in the light of eternity because my righteousness, my salvation is about to come. My righteousness is to be revealed. If you have another way to say it, for soon my salvation will come and my deliverance will be revealed. God is going to sum up the times. He promised the Redeemer and he came. He promised Jesus in Isaiah 53, 700 years before he was born, and he came. He promised the release from Babylonian captivity to the Jews. You will come back to your homeland. And they went home. Not a large percentage of them, but they went home. He promised the arrival of the Messiah. Why did they go home? Because the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. And the Jews had to go back to the land. That's Micah 5 verse 2. And so back to the land they went, and Jesus arrived on the scene. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law. They were released from captivity. Excuse me. We have been released from our sins by the power of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And another promise God has made is Jesus is what? Coming again. He has fulfilled every one of his promises and he's going to fulfill that one as well. And he says, I want you to live in the light of that, church. I want you to have actions that uh, portray your expectancy of my renewing all things. How blessed, 56.2, is the man who does this. If you know these things, John 13, at the end after Jesus washed the disciples' feet, blessed are you if you do them. There's a blessing attached to doing. Blessed is the man who does this. Does what? The things in verse 1. What are those things? A man who, a woman who preserves justice, who does righteousness, and who lives in the light of eternity. That's a blessed life. That's a pure life. That's a life that is a change agent to others. It's a life uh, shining the light of Jesus Christ. And the Son of Man who takes hold of it, who keeps from profaning the Sabbath and keeps his hand, notice, from doing any evil. You could say that a big part of Sabbath keeping is to keep your hand from doing evil. What is the Sabbath? Shabbat. Literally, Sabbath in the ancient Hebrew picture language means to return to the covenant. It means to cease or to rest. To rest in who? To rest in Jesus Christ. Hebrews 4, write it down for your notes, is a whole treatment on this. And it says that there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. We enter into the rest of God's promises through Jesus Christ. We rest in him. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The rest is the rest of Christ. Christ gives it. It's not performance-based. It's God-based. The Sabbath is a dress rehearsal, get this, for eternity. The Sabbath is a precursor of what we will experience in the millennium. We will rest in the Lord. We will have peace on every side. Sin will have ceased in that time. And he will rule and reign from Jerusalem. And there will be no more death, sorrow, tears, pain. The former things will have, uh, will have passed away. And so we, the Sabbath is forward-looking as well. Now, of course, in the New Testament, Christians are not commanded to keep the Sabbath day. The Sabbath is every day. The Sabbath is Christ. 
And now we meet on Sunday to commemorate the resurrection. The Sabbath is actually Saturday, given to Israel to commemorate the covenant. But you know what? Every day to me is the Sabbath because I'm resting in Jesus Christ. This is the life that God wants us to live. And along with the Sabbath keeping, of course, is um, keeping your hands, end of verse two, from doing any evil. What good is it if you go to church every Sunday and, and you... Don't live for the Lord. Now, I'm not saying any of us are going to be perfect. We know that this is a hospital for sinners. But we can't be hypocrites either. We can't be like the mafia guy who shoots up a bunch of people on Saturday night and is taking communion on Sunday morning and he thinks he's good and probably doesn't confess actually what he did anyway. (laughs) The Sabbath is a weekly dress rehearsal. And it is really, if you want to think about what Sabbath actually is, it's about your heart. Remember, how many people did Jesus heal on the Sabbath day on purpose? What was he trying to do? Stir the Pharisees. Why? Because they had lost the meaning of the Sabbath. All it was now was about ritual and rules and regulation. It wasn't about relationship. The Sabbath is about relationship. The Sabbath is about holiness. The Sabbath is about to take one day in seven and rest because you need the rest, amen? Have you realized that? (laughs) You do need the rest. But it's also to recharge, or get this with the whole flow of the text, to revive your soul in that day of worship so you can get ready for all the stuff you're going to deal with on Monday. That's why you're all here on Wednesday because you need it more than once a week. Amen? Amen. Right? There's a revival tied to the seeking of the Lord and not treating it as any other day. That's why going to church is so important. Because there's a reviving of our spirits in corporate worship. Man, I want to be here. I want to experience the presence of the Lord with the people of the Lord. I rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ and I bask in his presence and power. Now, it says, let not the foreigner outside of Israel, verse 356, who has joined himself to the Lord. That's a great statement. that speaks of that relationship, that oneness with him. Let not that person, that foreigner, say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. Neither let the eunuch say, behold, I am a dry tree. Now, what was a eunuch? Well, a eunuch was castrated, uh, oftentimes because they were in some sort of position in a uh, foreign court, sometimes overseeing the harem of their king. And the king did not want him messing with his harem, so he would be emasculated. As a matter of fact, some Uh, scholars, very reputable scholars, believe that Daniel may have experienced this in the court of Nebuchadnezzar, that he may have been castrated. We don't know for sure. It's debated. But what happens to a person like this? There is something in the law of Moses that um, forbid the emasculated one to worship or to be part of the assembly of the Lord. Deuteronomy 23.1 says, No one who is emasculated or has his male organ cut off shall enter the assembly of the Lord. Wow. So what if someone experienced this? Now, we could say, well, maybe, you know, it was an injury that they experienced. 
that's possible. Uh, when you do some reading on this, you find that eunuchs may have become eunuchs because of paganism. That is, they may have gone through this process of emasculation in some sort of pagan worship service. Weird. Do you know that some ancient church fathers, upon reading some of Jesus' words about purity in thought and heart, actually did this to themselves? Radical. They took this out of context, of course, but that's what happened. And, and what would happen now to a person, let's say that you are a person, let's just argue for a moment that uh, someone did this in paganism. They did something radically to themselves and now they could not produce offspring. And they said something like this, I'm a dry tree. I'm unfruitful in that sense. What do you do? You know, this could be the case for a single person. It could be the case for someone who can't produce offspring and they all of a sudden say, you know, what is there for me? And, and I want you to see that God says, neither let the eunuch say, don't say that. Don't say I'm a dry tree. Rather, you've joined yourself to me. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who keep the heart of the Sabbath, if you will, who choose what pleases me and hold fast my covenant. That is, they take it seriously. They take hold of it tightly. To them I will give in my house and within my walls a memorial, verse 5, and a name better than that of sons and daughters. Don't worry about it. You know, I know Psalm 127 says, uh, children are a blessing from the Lord and the fruit of the womb is a reward. But you know what? If you could not have children, if you're single for whatever reason and you never have kids, don't worry about it because God says to the eunuchs, I will have a memorial for you that's better than sons and daughters and I will give them what? an everlasting name that will not be cut off. You will not be forgotten. There will not be walls that keep you away. Sometimes we, we do things in our lives that affect us and we think, you know what, does, does this make me a second-class citizen now in the kingdom? And God says, no, it doesn't. Also, the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord, there's the repetition of uh, joining himself, coming to know the Lord, to minister to him, and here's now we get a further explanation of what it means to join yourself to the Lord. It means to love what? 56.6, to love the name of the Lord. Do you know when you pray in Jesus' name, you know what you're saying? This is what Jesus would want. We think that tagging a prayer in the name of Jesus has some mystical power. And I pray that in the name, gotta say it that way too, of Jesus and all of a sudden, if you tag your prayer that way, then somehow you pull the proper lever. Uh, folks, that's not what it means. To pray in the name of Jesus is to pray in the authority, in the person, in everything that represents him and his will. When you pray in the name of Jesus, you're saying, Lord, I'm praying that this is what you want. That is what prayer is. It's getting his will done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen? It's not some secret thing where we tag it a certain way. And when someone joins himself to the Lord to minister to him, to love, notice, the name of the Lord. Do you love the name of the Lord? That simply means you love him. To be his servants, everyone who keeps from profaning the Sabbath 
and hold fast my covenant. Even those I will bring, notice the promise, I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be acceptable on my altar. For my house will be called a house of prayer for all the peoples. And there's Jesus, you know, he cleanses the temple once in the Gospel of John, and then at the end of his earthly ministry, he comes back into Jerusalem. And what does he find in the temple? In the court of the Gentiles, the outer court of the temple, he finds a whole merchandising scheme going on. And people are being ripped off. And he said, you have made my father's house a den of thieves or a place of merchandise, but my father's house will be called what? A house of prayer for all the nations. What have you done? The, the place that the Gentiles can come, the further place, furthest place they can come, they couldn't enter in anywhere beyond the outer court of the Gentiles. What you turn it into? Not a place of worship, not a place of prayer. You weren't discipling them and then teaching them what it meant to seek the Lord. What were you doing? You were making merchandise out of them. Peter warns in 2 Peter 2 that that's what false teachers will do. They will make merchandise of you. They will make these promises and they will tie it to your offering, of course. Just sow your seed, brother, right? Why do I have to sow it in your ministry, right? And all of a sudden, rather than it being a house of prayer, it's a house of merchandise. And you will know them by their fruits. And Jesus warns, and he goes in there, and he's so passionate, zeal for thy house will consume me, that he turns over the tables of the money changers, and he drives them out. You think God's not serious about his temple? You think he's not serious about holiness? The Lord God, who gathers the dispersed of Israel, declares, yet others, here's the Gentiles, I will gather, verse 8, to them, to those already gathered, I will gather uh, Gentile and Jew alike to be one people. And you beasts of the field, all you beasts in the forest, I'm going to gather you too. God says to them, Come and eat. Now, we have a little transition here in the text. I'll explain to you what it means. You see, what's happening with Israel is the warnings have gone forth, but Israel really hasn't responded properly. And God says, I'm now inviting the beast of the field to come and eat. Why? Because his watchmen, verse 10, are blind. All of them know nothing. The idea is they're ignorant, they have no discernment. All of them are dumb. Not, that doesn't mean intellectual dumbness, but mute. They are dumb dogs, notice, unable to bark. They are dreamers lying down who love to slumber. Now, I don't know why you got your dog. We got our dog just because we love him. But he does bark. And he barks when he hears things, and he has that supersonic dog hearing, you know how your dog has? All of a sudden, whoop, you know, he'll get up and the fur will stand up and, and then you'll figure out somebody's come home and the tail might start going and you're like, he knows something. They can sense things, right? And their bark can be a warning to you and this is akin to the watchman. Uh, I guess a good example, I heard somebody else share this, is 
A good example would be, let's say you had a watchman up on the watchtower and an invading army had come in, but he had lost his voice. Uh, he couldn't speak and he was trying to say, Hey, the army's coming. He couldn't get it out. It's like having a dog that can't bark. You see, they're mute. They don't properly warn the people. The beasts have already been invited. They think everything's cool. Notice what they say. The dogs are greedy. They are not satisfied. Eleven, they are shepherds who have no understanding. They've all turned, notice, to their own way. Each one to what? His unjust gain to the last one. Come, they say, let us get wine. Let us drink heavily of strong drink, and tomorrow will be like today, only more so. Nothing's going to change. And all the while, the beasts have been assembling. Uh, I can't help but think of the Lord of the Rings movies. You know, when you're seeing the, the scenes go from different places and the, the orcs are assembling. You know, <laughs> and you know it's coming, Right? But the people on the other side are saying, oh, it's cool. Have another drink. It's fine. Everything will be the same. And God says, no, I've already called the beast to dinner. You don't see him yet, but they're coming. Oh, it's fine. Put, put him on the watch. I know he can't bark. Put him on the watchtower. Lost his voice. It's all right. Nobody's coming. And the beasts are Babylon. And they're coming. Turn to the book of Jeremiah. We'll only do one chapter tonight, so I'm going to take you to a couple places. Jeremiah 12. Next book to your right. Jeremiah 12. Here's what God says. This is the picture of the beasts. Jeremiah 12, 7. God says, I have forsaken my house. I have abandoned my inheritance. Jeremiah 12, 7. I have given the beloved of my soul into the hand of her enemies. Jeremiah 12, 8. My inheritance has become to me like a lion in the forest. She has roared against me, therefore I have come to hate her. Is my inheritance like a speckled bird of prey to me? Are the birds of prey against her on every side? Go, gather all the beasts of the field, here's the image, bring them to devour. Many shepherds have ruined my vineyard. They have trampled down my field. They have made my pleasant field a desolate wilderness. It has been made a desolation, desolate. It mourns before me. The whole land has been made desolate because no man lays it to heart. And on all the bare heights, in the wilderness, destroyers have come. For a sword of who? Of the Lord is devouring from one end of the land even to the other, there is no peace for anyone. Why? God lays it right at the doorstep of the shepherds. Go back to Isaiah. It is the people, no doubt. They have been involved in idolatry. We'll look at uh, that next week. They have been messing with idols, no doubt. But when God kind of centers the blame, you know who he lays it with? Look at verse 10, the watchman. See, not only do they not bark, but they are, verse 10, Isaiah 56, they are blind. Jesus said of the Pharisees, you are blind guides. And if a blind man leads a blind man, will they not both fall into a pit? 
It's a scary thing to have a blind watchman who has no voice. Bad combination. Because the watchman's job was to sound the alarm, to blow the trumpet. And in the book of Ezekiel, God says, if you blow the warning blast for my people when an invading army's coming and they don't leave, their blood's on them. But if you don't do your job at that post, their blood is on you. And in Acts 20, Paul said to the Ephesian elders, I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. And later on, he will say, day and night, I did not cease to warn you with tears. I warned you over and over again. Be careful. From among your own number will rise up men who lead people to follow themselves, to follow false ways. And here's the watchman. Blind, ignorant, no discernment, So they can't see, they know nothing, verse 10, they have no discernment, and they can't bark. You know what they do all day? They lie down and dream. I had a dream. Really, not at the post, sleeping on the job. They love to slumber. Here's the combination, verse 11. You know what you can know about these dogs? They are, verse 11, why are they in the post they are? They are greedy. They are not satisfied. They are shepherds who have no understanding. They have all turned to their own way, each one to his unjust gain, to the last. And you sit here and you look at the landscape sometimes and you say, can a righteous man be found? Is there someone who will stand up in the public square and tell the truth? And stop playing the games. Is there someone who will actually be honest? Is there a righteous man? Yeah, but they seem to be few and far between. If you look at 57.1, sneak preview of next time. The righteous man perishes, 57.1, and no man takes it to heart. A devout man, uh, and devout men are taken away while no one understands. For the righteous man is taken away from evil. But notice here's the good news. He enters into into peace and they rest on their beds, each one who has walked in his upright way. And I was reading a commentary where one writer said, many godly pastors in America have been forced to resign because church leadership often does not like it when you tell the truth consistently. I have heard stories of of boards who force pastors out of churches because they speak the truth of the word of God and people don't want that. So they're forced out. Now that's not this board. (laughs) I'm on the board. I'm going to make sure that that does not happen. No, no, this, this board, this elder board has a passion for the word of God. And that's why we can do what we can do. But believe me, if I was in some places tonight just teaching you what I taught you tonight, I probably would get an exit, some exit papers. Now, not only that was that happening, but there's an implied um, truth here that it may be that righteous men were secretly disappearing in Israel. They would speak against the king, and then you never hear from them again. Just gone. You don't think that happens? 
There's people languishing in prison right now who've spoken out against regimes and, and corrupt leaderships, and, and they're gone. The righteous man perishes, and you know what? Nobody takes it to heart. How many people are fighting for them? A few, maybe. And this is the landscape. And, and sometimes we hear, let's, we'll go over to politics for a second. We hear, you know what? It, the character of a person doesn't really matter. What really matters is policy. Oh, come on. Really? What matters to God is the character of a man or a woman. That's what matters. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. So if I was going to say something to a congregation, and I, and I am, about what you should do when it comes to thinking about voting, and you should, vote your conscience and get as close as you can to the word of God. To someone, as close as you can get to someone who looks like a righteous man. And place your vote there. Because I'll tell you what, we're at a very interesting time and, you know, it ends with this idea that nothing's going to change. We can, we can drink, we can party, we can drink heavily, verse 12. Today, tomorrow will be alike, only more so. And, of course, I mentioned to you that uh, behind it all, the beasts are assembling. <laughs> Father, we need your help uh, tonight because we know that these truths certainly uh, do apply. They apply in both the church and in our culture. And one thing that the people of God must do is pray. We don't have all the answers. I don't. But we must pray. We must be contrite. We must tremble at your word and seek to do righteously. And the good news is that this room is filled with a bunch of people who have that passion and do exactly that. But we need to pray. Your house will be called a house of prayer. And you say, call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things that you do not know. Father, you've commanded us to pray. To pray in your name, to pray your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And to seek your face and to turn from our wicked ways. And you said, you will hear from heaven, forgive our sin and heal our land. I know that promise was to Israel, but I know the principle is true from Jeremiah 17 or Jeremiah 18. That if a nation repents, you will stay your hand. And tonight, Lord, as we think about our nation, a country that we all love, uh, children and grandchildren being born into it, uh, we cry out, Lord, for this nation. We cry out, Lord, for the church in the nation. And we're excited that we do see pockets of revival. I believe in the last five years, right here, you have caused revival. I've seen it in individual hearts, and I've seen it in a corporate uh, experience here. And I know it's happened in other places as well. And I pray it will continue. And I pray that it will ripple out. And I pray, Father, that it will affect every area of this nation from the bottom to the top and in between. We pray, Lord, for our personal lives that you'll help us to seek your face regularly 
and to allow you to fill our lives in such a way that we'll be fully surrendered and fully engaged. I pray for the precious people here tonight. Some of them may feel dry. Some of them may feel uh, question marks in their soul about how you feel about them, but you love them and you've forgiven us in Christ. And Lord, we just want to ask, Lord, for times of refreshing to flow from your Holy Spirit and that you will strengthen your church, your bride, for the days ahead and that we might be busy about your business. In Jesus' name we ask, amen. You've been listening to A House of Prayer for All Nations on Walk in Truth. That's Pastor Michael's teaching in Isaiah 56. If you missed any part of today's program, you can listen to Walk in Truth on our Free Living Truth app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also listen to our new mini-sodes called A Step Closer. Now, our Living Truth app is the one with the red logo with the pillars. And with our app, you can learn more about Living Truth Christian Fellowship, the church behind Walk in Truth, where Pastor Michael Lance serves as senior pastor. If you're local to Southern California, the app gives updates and information about upcoming Bible studies, free events, and services, both for you and your kids. If you live outside Southern California, you can still benefit from the Living Truth app because you can listen or watch Pastor Michael's previous teachings, and you can contact the church if you have any questions or comments. Download the free Living Truth app in your app store. Now, here's Pastor Michael with a final word before we go. Well, when Jesus uh, cleansed the temple, remember he said, My Father's house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations. You've made it a den of thieves. Now, I want you to hear that, a house of prayer for all the nations, opening up the gospel, God's heart for the world that he made. And when we move through through a book like Isaiah, you know, Israel is so much the focal point, you kind of wonder, well, you know, what about me? I live in the West or I live somewhere else. Well, the Lord had you in mind when the Messiah came. Because salvation is for both Jew and Gentile. In fact, it's for the whole world. The gospel is for the whole world. Remember, you can hear the rest of Isaiah chapter 55 when you check out Walk in Truth on your favorite podcast app. Just search for Walk in Truth. Remember, there's more content on there as well, including the remainder of the message in Isaiah 55 and a new ministry called A Step Closer a devotional podcast. We're doing mini-sodes. We've done one on the resurrection. I think you'll find it incredibly helpful and it will bolster your faith and one on the leaked Roe v. Wade decision. And I think that is powerful as well and you will benefit from both. Check it out today when you search for Walk in Truth on your favorite podcast app. Make sure you subscribe or follow us today and we'll see you, Lord willing, tomorrow right here. God bless. And don't forget, Walk in Truth is a listener-supported ministry. Your financial partnership helps us broadcast on this station, provide the podcast for free, and it helps us do our free apologetic events too. Please consider becoming a monthly partner of at least $5 a month. You can donate at walkintruth.com. And remember, if you'd like to hear the rest of Pastor Michael's teaching in Isaiah 56 called A House of Prayer for All Nations, you'll find the entire message on the free Living Truth app, or you can follow Walk in Truth on your favorite podcast app. I'm Mike Massaro. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth, where it's our goal to equip you to reach out with God's truth to all people.